Okay. Yeah. Any any questions? Yes, Kevin. They're coming. The mics are coming. Um, when you read in Second uh, Peter one ten mm-hmm. and eleven, uh, what's can you explain the the never fall part of that? That we will never fall. That insinuates that we possibly could fall. Where, what verse? Ten. Ten. The um, end of ten. Yeah. Um, I will give you my off-the-cuff thoughts about fall. Oh, you are here, Greg? Okay. Cool. Okay. Hey. Um, I think I think in that context, fall could just be like a lapse in your walk. I mean, if you're constantly adding to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, if you're constantly um, doing that... You're, you're not going to fall away from the faith. You're not going to have any big laps in your walk. You're going to have daily dust-ups, but you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to fall or fall away, as it were. Well, yeah, I think so. He uses, look at how he describes it in verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So I'd probably look at verse 9 to describe fall. Most likely, getting to a point where you 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 haven't even remember what God did to you or for you, something like that. Yeah, backsliding, something like that. Yes. Greg Sweet. So this isn't a salvation issue. The the fall is not. I don't think in Second Peter it is. I think there are places. I, I do think there are New Testament texts that warn you: watch out, or you're going to perish, and. There's a whole oh stumble. Well, no, in First Peter, no, in Second Peter, I don't think it's referring to that. I'm I'm agreeing with Greg. In Second Peter, I don't think he's talking about like going to hell. Hebrews is a whole other beast, and some other passages like that that warn you that if we go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains any sacrifice for sins, but only a certain fearful expectation of fiery wrath and judgment that will consume the adversaries of God. For we know him who says, Vengeance is mine, and again I will repay, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's Hebrews 10. If you keep on going on sinning, I don't know what will happen, you should expect hell, is basically what the author of Hebrews is saying. And he doesn't actually say what will happen. He just says there only remains a fearful expectation of fiery wrath and indignation that will consume the adversaries of God. You keep acting like you're God's enemy long enough, maybe you are, is basically the logic. Um, so there are texts that would say, not that you're losing your salvation, but there are texts that would warn professing Christians, watch out. I don't think Second Peter 1 is necessarily one of them. So, okay. Who's next? Steve, Stephen, don't even pretend you don't got nothing. Don't even pretend you don't have like a list. You've written them down. I know you. Okay. Oh, he didn't bring them with me. Okay. Okay. Other questions, thoughts, complaints? Haiku. Oh, Elsa. So that just reminded me what he said. How does backsliding fit into all of this? Backsliding, how does it fit into all of this? Um, 
What? I'm stalling? No, hold on. It's uh, a broad question. How does it fit into all of this? Um, elect, okay, I see. Um, believers can and do go into periods of sin. That's clear. David murdered a man, stole his wife, hid it for at least nine months because the child was born, right? Um, other believers we know can, can struggle. And we're always, and this gets back to the currency we're supposed to take from these things. Um, it would be wrong to conclude, this gets back to even First Peter, I believe I'm elect, therefore I don't have to worry. Therefore I don't have to persevere. No, Peter takes it the other way. Because of all that God's done for you, zealously add to your faith these things. Confirm your election. Notice he didn't say you confirm your election by looking back to the date on your Bible when you prayed the prayer and really, really meant it. Because again and again in the New Testament, the fruit that you're consistently bearing trumps everything else in regards to the verification process. Um, absolutely, there's a confidence and an assurance we get when we pray a prayer. And then as we grow in grace and, and as the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit, there's an assurance. But again and again and again, what I see is, you know the tree buys fruit. And we get back to the notion of, don't tell me it's an apple tree if those are oranges on it. You know, um, So the way you verify... Your election and calling is by increasing. It's not some bar. It's not some measurement that you have to, you, are you this good? I, I put it to other people this way. Which, which of two destinations are you making progress towards? You know, Are you moving towards Christ's likeness or are you moving towards the flesh? Which one are you on? Which might mean that for a time a believer might wonder if they're a believer. And I think that's as it should be. In other words, a, a, a born-again Christian in sin might very well be the Lord's will for them to wonder who on earth am I. I mean, David, even in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That while you're walking in darkness, I don't think biblically you can determine with absolute certainty what you are. Like, this kind of a, we'll see. You know, I really believe, okay, that if you really think you're a child of God, then you will snap out of this. The shepherd will pull you out of this. But we'll see. Um, and so that's that's my initial... Is that what you're getting at? Or do you want me to go to different places? I can... Talk ad nauseum. Just ask my friends. Um. <laughs> amen. Can I get an amen? Okay. Um, other. Yeah, oh, Jim. So then, if God is sovereign over all things, yes, is He sovereign over our backsliding? Um, I believe so. Uh, and this is where we go back to the first week. We talk about God's relationship to sin. And even Daniel's message last week is asymmetrical. It's not in perfect correspondence to his, his um, relationship to righteousness, that he is actively working in me to produce righteousness, right? So work out your salvation with fear and trauma, for it's God who works within you both to do and to will according to his good pleasure. I do not think that when we sin, it's God who's at work within you both to, you know, to sin and corrupt. I think it's much more of an um, asymmetric, passive response. Yet we read passages. I mean, I was just reading one the other day. Go to, um, go to 1 Samuel. I mean, just remarkable little passages that we can skip over when we're reading that have huge implications um, for these topics. I was just reading in 1 Samuel the other day. Um, Eli's sons. So I think it's, what, 3? 2? 1 Samuel 2, maybe? Hold on. We'll get there. Eli's sons. They are being naughty. 
Yeah, they're being worthless, Greg. And a two. Um, okay. Um, Eli rebukes them. They don't listen. And the reason they don't listen is it was from the Lord because he did determined to put them to death. Where is that? Hold on. Maybe it's one. This is why I should have this stuff prepped. 225? Okay. There we go. 225. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? So here's Eli pleading with his sons to repent. Don't keep you know, taking advantage of the people who come to the temple. But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Why, why didn't Hophni and Phinehas, um, why didn't they listen to their father's rebuke? Well, somehow God takes credit in some respect for that. We don't know how. I'd suggest it's by the withdrawal of grace, um, which is another way I think of speaking of hard thing. They don't repent. Um, we saw in um, 2 Samuel 24, 1, the Lord incited David to number Israel. So what one of the things we get from this is we never get to blame God for our sin because we're always willing to do it. If, if one day God's grace isn't holding you up as much as it was the day before, what complaint do you get to raise to him? So maybe God wants, and, and so I think in God's children, God may have many, many reasons why he may cause us to go through a, a slough of despond or a time of, of a, I mean, I was reading uh, John Owen, and he just goes off into it. One thought, maybe, maybe God knows it's good for me to see how weak I am. Maybe God's going to let me struggle for a while with some sin or something just to remind me how corrupt and weak I am so that I don't become proud. And Maybe God knows I need this to humble me. Maybe I'm feeling too big about myself, and so I go through a, a struggle or a period of, of, of sin where I'm not having victory over something because God's pulled some grace back, and he's showing me, hey, Jeremy, this is what you're like in your own strength. I mean, and there can be other reasons as well, but I absolutely think God has purposes. I mean, God, Romans 8, 28, God is causing all things to work together for good to those who love him, including my unbelief, which is a hard thing to wrap your head around. <laughs> and a believer's response to that. Um, the believer's response to that is, if I'm going through a time, I mean, even as I'm going through this, this stomach thing, right? So this week, like, physician heal thyself, no pun intended. Okay, God, what do you want me to learn through this? This is, this is rough. This is slowing me down. This is tough. And I think, through, is there some sin in my life you're trying to get a hold of my attention by? Is there, what are you doing? And I just sort of work through that. And I have no doubt this is for my good in the big scheme of things. In the short scheme of things, it stinks. <laughs> you know what I mean? But with a bird's eye view, looking at eternity, this is good for me. And, and I will not begrudge God this, um, even if right now my fervent prayer is that the Lord would take it away. Um, so we try to lean into what God's doing and we, we look for his, if, if God, if you're struggling with sin, you, this con wrong conclusion is, well, God's sovereign. He's determined I'll struggle with sin. I mean, no, the, the conclusion is God's given us all these promises. Lord, help. You can help. You're able to help. So that's, that's the thing we got to watch out for is we never see the New Testament, the apostles, Paul taking the sovereignty of God and using that as any sort of justification for a lackadaisical, um, approach on our part. If anything, it's redoubling our efforts to do things. So we can't blame God in that respect. Well, God ordained before the foundation of the world that I was going to be lazy today. What can you do about it? That is not the way the New Testament uh, runs with things. So anyway, that's...
Oh, in the back. That would be uh, end of Genesis in 40 where Joseph and his brothers, and you can just read about that. You meant it for example. evil, God meant it for good. Mm-hmm. Genesis 50, 20. Thrown um, in jail and all that. We're, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the whole, I mean, that's basically three weeks ago's message. So, um, yeah. Oh, microphone. You guys got to play by the rules. Over the last, I think this was uh, God's sovereignty over even backs. I mean, it's revelatory to me and just hard to get my head around it. So Amen. Um, it's going to take some time. I don't Amen. deny it. It's scriptural. Amen. Yeah. But uh, sadly, sometimes I forget his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So. Right. I'm sure no one else is struggling with that. No, no. <laughs> no, and it, it absolutely is the case that this is this stuff's deep. I mean, go, I didn't go there, but if you go to Romans 11, right? So, go to Romans 11. So Paul starts this whole discussion about Israel. Actually, go to nine. Paul starts this whole discussion of Israel talking about how his, he's being torn apart inside, as it were. He has 9-2. Great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ, the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So Paul has just spoken to massive internal anguish, right? And then we saw in 10-1, they're always on his prayers. Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Then we learn um, in 11, um, probably most clearly in 11, where is it? The, the elects were saved, the rest were hardened. Um, yeah, 11.5. So too at the present time, a remnant is chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel obtain, failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. And Pastor Daniel looked at that last week, right? Okay. So Paul is saying, I have this unceasing anguish. I could almost wish myself cursed to hell, the sake of my brother and my kinsman. But God's word didn't fail. Ultimately, God's sovereign. And the elect obtained it. The rest were hardened. And then he's able to come out of this in 1132, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him, or all things, to him be glory forever, amen. Says the guy whose heart is aching and torn apart. I mean, so, so both notes in that chord need to be present. A confidence in what God is doing that can praise him and a real-time here-and-now anguish over these people who are lost and going to hell. And so Romans 9 begins with the real-time anguish, and yet Paul is still able to insist, my God is sovereign over this, and he is wise, and praise be to him. And there's absolutely a challenge to bring in both of those notes and, and not just gravitating to one or the other. And yet, in three chapters, it's there. And so that is it's hard to wrap your head around that, but... That's the balancing act I think we're trying to do. You don't ever want to stop feeling tore up and this anguish that Paul has for people that he says are not elect. 
Why, why, what's Paul's answer for why his countrymen, according to the flesh, rejected their Messiah? His answer in Romans 9 is God didn't choose them. It does not stop him from being tore up for them. And I don't think his anguish for them is ungodly, unrighteous. You know? um, and yet, he can also praise God for the way he's ordered things. And, and Yeah. Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. I mean, in other places, Jesus, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these from the wise and revealed them to children. Jesus, fully aware of the sovereignty of God. Israel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times would I gather you up but you wouldn't? And, 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 you know, and I can sometimes in my own you know, um, unbelief think, Jesus, you know why they're not coming. The Father hasn't revealed it to them. You said it over here. And so both of those notes of that tension, being able to praise God for his control and being able to really interact and be in anguish and weep, both need to be present. And if you end up with a view of sovereignty where you're heartless towards people who are perishing, you got it wrong. You know, um, so that that's the tension for me. The balancing act there is is trying to keep beginning of Romans nine, the end of Romans eleven, both in play in my heart, in my mind. But yeah, microphone. <laughs> well, from our from a human point of view as well, we never, up until someone takes their last breath, know if God right. is going to. How did you put it earlier in your sermon? Work. Uh, how do it? it uh, Makes them a trophy of grace. No, it was in it was in the fourth part of this. Oh. Um, Can speak. Grant life. repentance and, and faith. faith. Is that what yeah. you? Yeah. That's we don't know up until right. someone is passes from this world passes yeah. from this world if God will grant them yeah. repentance and faith. Hey, so, hey, God snatched my dad out of the fire, twenty four, forty eight, sixty four hours before he died. I mean, so yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We we dare not give up on a story until they're done. Indeed. Um, oh, Greg Rolak. This is more to your point, two points in the sermon, how we're, we're humbled and then also emboldened. Mm-hmm. Pa- Paul goes on in Romans 10 to, to remind us that those who come to faith, it's not by anything that we do, but by God's word, the tool that God uses when he says, how then shall they call on him whom they have, whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone, unless, or sorry, without someone to preach? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How it, and it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So there you get both the 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 means that God uses His Word, but then also our part in it. It's like, okay, what part do you play? You know, there's no there's no glorying in in what we do. We're just the messenger. You know, we right. have this ministry of reconciliation, and we're bringing it to to others. That's the part that we play. So it keeps us from being, um, what's the word that we said earlier? Arrogant. Arrogant, and you know, and and. Um, and thinking much of ourselves, but then we also have the power, which also humbles us. That's the word. Sorry, from being you know, from not being humble, being proud. But we also have the 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 re- revealed word, which actually does bring the power through through the Spirit, which again humbles us and shows us our part in this ministry as well. Right. I mean, we get. Yeah. No, there's not much. Yeah, well, well said. Yes. Um, we get the privilege of. Um, Taking part in actions and events that dwarf dwarf whatever's going on with some United Nations treaty. I mean, whether or not this person that you're witnessing talking to, speaking the words of life to, turns and believes, 
that event will echo and reverberate into eternity. You know, what legislation gets passed, whether or not Obamacare gets repealed, that won't. We won't be talking about that in 10 million years. But someone's coming to faith, someone that you encourage and they don't fall away in a given moment, they're faithful, those types of things will, will echo and be praised and talked about and praised the Lord for for eternity. And we can take part in that. And we're mad because, well, you could do it without me. Of course he could do it without you. <laughs> you know what I mean? A friend of mine has this illustration, um, and it's, you know, I let my kids carry in. How many of you guys have got little kids and you let them help carry something in, groceries in from the car? Do you really need their help? No, you're doing it as a blessing to them to let them participate, and it gives them great joy, and they're doing this thing together, you know? And so Zadok's got this little sack, and, you know, he had, I had to take two of the four cucumbers out because, you know, four cucumbers was too heavy. Um, <laughs> But it's great, right? Um, yeah, I, I, it got, it's not as though God's like, man, I really hope some people stand up because otherwise my plan's going to fail. Oh, phew. I mean, we don't really want a picture of an impotent God like that. But in our pride, our notion is, hey, if I'm not mission critical, I don't want to do it. If I'm not absolutely necessary, if you could do this without me, pfft, which is what we're saying when, well, then why evangelize? Yeah. Um, any other... Questions, thoughts? In the back, and then in the front, middle. So our usual uh, verse that gets quoted against the idea of a particular election is 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, where God desires all people to be saved. Can you talk about that? Well, like I said in my sermon... Um, two weeks ago. I think God does desire all men to be saved. What's the point? I mean, I'm not trying to be sharp with you, but, but what would they say? Okay, so God desires all men to be saved. Then why doesn't he do it? Oh, this is the illustration as before, because within all of us, we can have a hierarchy of desires. I'd ask the Arminian the same question. Can God save everyone? Why doesn't he? There's something he wants more, right? And the Arminian's going to say, God wants a free, unconstrained choice. So he'd rather watch the vast majority of humanity go to hell than violate that, because he wants that more. Okay, fair enough. If, you, if the Arminian can grant God wants, legitimately wants everyone to be saved, but he wants something else more, my answer will be what Paul says in Romans 9, that God would rather fully put his glory on display than save everyone. So I, I absolutely think God desire. I mean, let me ask you a question. God sends Paul out. And Paul says God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Does God not want men to obey his command? I don't think so. When Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we implore you, God imploring us through you, God imploring you through us, be reconciled to Christ. Is that instance? I know. I genuinely think God is calling all men to be saved, and God desires all men to be saved. It's not his highest desire. But the Arminian and I both have to agree to that point. Neither of us are acknowledged or saying that's his number one goal. Because if that were his number one goal, he would do it. Right? He could provide a salvation with no requirements. I'm just sending Jesus, and whether you believe or not, you're forgiven. That's okay. He didn't do that. So we all have to recognize within God a hierarchy of desire. Um, just like I want to be, I want to lose weight and I want to eat, you know, the cheesecake. I do want both. <laughs> right? Um, so Paul's answer, I think, in Romans 9 is, um, 
So anyway, normally when I get asked that, I just push it right back on them. I'm like, okay, what's the problem? And then show them they've got the exact same problem. I mean, unless they're universalist, they have the exact same problem. Don't tell me God couldn't save everyone, and he didn't. Why? What did he want more? Um, So in Romans 9, Paul says this, What if God, desiring, wanting to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. I, what, I, what I'm thinking Paul is saying is God could do three things. He can save no one. He can save everyone. He can save some. It pleased him ultimately to save some. This is after he's inviting everyone and everyone has gouged out their eyes and, and ripped off their ears lest they hear and turn and be saved. And in the light of that, I am going to save some. Is what he chooses to do. He's free to do that. And the reason Paul says here he wants to do this, he wants some to get what they deserve, some to get justice, and thus to demonstrate his holiness, to demonstrate justice, and to give a comparison for those who receive grace to know what they're saved from. It pleases God ultimately to have that state of affairs. Now, that's, that's what I think Paul's saying there, but that's my, something like that is my answer for what does God want more. Um, but I, I, I just want to insist that both sides have to deal with that. It's not simply a problem for the person who believes in election. Greg, or unless you get more to say to that, JP, and then we'll go well, to the Oh, that, he's not done. That paragraph in Second Timothy, I think, can give you some problems if you go that route, just because, I mean, Christ, so following yeah. that, it says Christ, the man Christ, who gave himself as ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So, is, do you believe that, that Christ gave ransom for all? We have intentionally avoided that topic in this series. <laughs> I'm not ready to go there yet at the moment. Um, my short answer is um, what, what JP is... Oh dear, you're, you really want to go there. And we got 20 minutes. Ugh. JP's bring up the whole limited atonement, unlimited atonement, definite atonement, indefinite atonement debate. Yeah, not, we, can do, we can do a message on that, or we can spend the whole ABF on that. With 15, 20 minutes to go, we're not going there. Sorry. Just because that's a topic where either let me say the whole thing or don't say anything. It can really be confusing otherwise. So I'm not trying to punt as much as I'm saying, give me time to talk about that. That's a big topic. Um, so that's my answer. You almost drew me in. <laughs> Sir. And then Greg in the back. Okay, this is another no but. Okay. Uh, I like to think I'm smart. Ah! It's a problem. You see, there are not many wise, but didn't say none, so here we go. Well, and, and you know, you can't blame God, so you crucify the messenger, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we, we sang the uh, happy song, and you were sad, and we sang the sad song. Anyway, go, go, go. Um, I think there's a thing called a snub. A snub? It's a noose that you can put around a horse's nose, take a wild stallion, and control him. And that's the way you're making me feel right now. You? Um, there is what in America we call inalienable rights, God-given inalienable rights. Yes, sir. And I'm realizing how we've totally missed the boat uh, an example would be slavery. You know, we, we think that uh, all men should be free, and that's not what the Bible preaches at all. 
Um, you know, it, it teaches us how to treat our slaves. Okay. I'm not, I'm, what, what are you, where are you going? When, when we look at our morality and, and what we think is right, you know, all, all I'm learning is that uh, we don't see things the way God does and we've missed the boat. Hmm. Um, okay. I'm, I'm confused on what you're looking for for a response from me. I'm, I'm not looking for a response. Okay. I'm, I'm listening, I'm learning, okay. and I am complaining that it doesn't make sense. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. okay. And th- that's not all bad. I'm just trying to accept it. Okay. Um, a similar example. My mother is righteous to the point that it makes me look reprobate. But she has had uh, some leg pain, a pinched nerve, that had her uh, praying in the night that, you know, God, please take me. And that's not a very big step for her, but it is for me. And fortunately, um, even with the plethora of doctors, she's getting better. Uh, you talk about your stomach and um, you don't want to admit that it might be a caffeine worship. But how, how do we get a handle on these things? How do we get them to make sense to us when we don't have sense? Um, I'll try, I'm still not entirely sure, but I'll take a swing. Um, but uh, if anyone thinks they have a better grasp, I will. At, at the end of the day, I don't think God wants me, um, like some astrophysicist in a white lab coat, to have figured stuff out. I think it's quite fine. In fact, I think most of the Christian life is like a three-year-old kid grabbing dad's leg saying, I don't understand, help. Um, I don't know why I have this stomach pain. If there's something you want me to learn from it, I want to learn it because I don't want to go on with it. But I do trust you, you know. And so when I take my kid to the doctor and he has to get a shot, I can't explain to him why that's important. At the end of the day, it's just we trust daddy, right? And so I, I think that's a completely fine place to be. Um, when you talk about childlike faith, I think it's getting at things like that. Childlike faith terrifies me. We think of childlike faith, like, oh, it's just childlike faith. Kids believe a white guy comes down the chimney because their parents tell them, right? Childlike faith is massive. It is not small. Childlike faith terrifies me. I tell my kids they believe me. If I told my kids the earth was flat, they'd go, okay. I mean, they just, they'll believe me. Childlike faith. Um, And so coming to God, I don't understand, I think is completely good place to be. I, I don't understand. I want to help. I think that, that um, stance towards God is, is faithful and good, and I think there's plenty of people in the Bible that's exactly... I mean, I think of Peter, right? Jesus has some really hard things to say in John 6. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And most of his disciples forsake him. And Jesus turns to the twelve, and he doesn't say, good for you, you stuck around. Do you guys want to leave too? And Peter just says, Lord, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I don't have a sausage of an idea of what you just said, but I do know you speak the truth, so I'm not going anywhere. Like, more frequently in my life, that's where I'm at. We sing a song that bases that, where else can we go, Lord, where else can we go? There are plenty of times where I don't have a clue what God is up to, um, but he has proven himself again and again to be good, and so I, I'm, I want to trust him. Um, so the experience of, I don't get it, and this is hard, yes, 
Greg wants to speak to this. Yeah, I think even the prophets, I, I was trying to search for the verse, but I couldn't find it. Even they spoke on behalf of God things that they didn't completely understand either, right? Um, what's the verse that, that, that I'm missing there? The, the prophets, they spoke of things that they themselves didn't know. Second Peter. Okay. I, Keep talking, know, I'll find it. Um, I think that that's you know, helpful to understand too. Like They were speaking on behalf of God and not completely understanding totally um, what it is that they were saying, but they trusted this is you know, the word of the Lord. This is, this is you know, what God has told yeah, me as first Peter. people. And you know, they themselves didn't quite understand you know, that what they were saying, you know, the, the end, the complete end of it. So I think I just to echo what Jeremy's saying. I think that's a that's a fine place to be sometimes because there's revealed things that are for us, and then there are hidden things that belong to the Lord. I just gave up, and I'm searching on my phone now. End of chapter one of First or Second Timothy. First, I, th- I thought it was Second Peter one. Um, now that's. All the prophetic word more fully confirmed, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture ever came from one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the Lord. Now I'm looking for the prophets who wrote this searched the Scriptures, and they learned that they would not be confirmed apart from you. I'm just looking up apart from you. Um, see if it shows up in First Peter. Apart from you. Um, nope. Good grief, where is that? Linda is not impressed. Hey, Linda. Okay. Anyway. I think it's First Peter. But anyway, more questions or thoughts while I look up this elusive text? Oh, hold well, on. Greg's got more to say. Sorry, I, the, the re- real reason I was asking for the mic is, um, why does Paul use the phrase, and, and I guess what are we, uh, what's the purpose of the phrase, what if God desiring to show his mercies? Like, how does that function in his argument to help us better understand what he's going to say next? To, to use a phrase like, what if God... It seems out of place for Paul to yeah. say something. Daniel would be the better person to ask because he's more recently done a detailed study on that. Um, I think the point of it is simply saying this. Hey, Clay, what if it's this way? What, what do you got to say? I, I'm not certain Paul is saying this is absolutely the way it is. I think Daniel is more, and, and I'd be happy to let him persuade me or why from the text he thinks that. But I think the primary point is this. Would you object to the fact that God is free to do it? Whether or not he does this, is he free to do this? Do you have some just complaint if he does this? That, 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 somewhere between that and depending on how strong you take the what if. I mean, it could simply be, no, seriously, what if God wants to do this? What then? What's, what's your complaint? What, what's your retort? What's your pushback? Um, so I'm not sure how strong to take the what if. Um, I'm more willing to look at it like Paul not absolutely saying what is, but rather this is how free God is. He, he can do this. I, I think last time I talked to Daniel last week, he's more persuaded it's... Um, it's not. The Greek's got different conditional clauses for a second and third that can help shed light on whether the author thinks the if clause, the the protasis, is true or not. So that would that would factor in. But Mike, so wait while you look for a mic. Wait, be patient. Have patience. Have. Yeah, it's not to worry. Um, Perhaps it has something to do with 
how how Paul introduced this question, like Daniel said last week, that he doesn't think this is a legitimate question, huh? He said introducts. Introdu- oh, sorry, intro- introduces introduces this. Yeah, that's kind of love what you, I was Greg. For. Sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> how Paul introduces this this conversation here when he says, "You will say to me then," and Paul's he's entertaining the question, but he doesn't think it's legitimate. Maybe that has something to do with the, sure. the way that he responds. What if, you know, because they're coming to him like, you know, you will say to me then, you know. Well, and the coming out of the pot and the clay is like, look, in the, in, the, in the picture, the metaphor, what say does clay have on what the potter does? Zero, right? That, that's the point. If God is free, he's free. Can you trust him with that or not? Let's, you know, what else are we going to say pushing back? You know, um, I'm willing to trust him with it. I, I think that's the right answer. But, you know, if not. I just wanted to comment um, how much I've appreciated you and Pastor Daniel and all the time, energy, research that you put into these last four weeks. I can't imagine what that must have taken for the both of you. Um, I can't say that I have a grip on it all yet. Doyle and I are still wrestling. In fact, our last words tonight before we both fell asleep were, I don't know. And, and we nodded <laughs> off because we're, we're still just trying to come to terms with some of this stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. having said all of that, um, I guess what I'm taking away from it at this point is the challenge of, uh, it's got me back in the word hard uh, mm. reading and researching to, to find it for myself, I guess. Mm. And, uh, at the end of the day, I've just come to um, really love God so much more huh. and thank him so much more because he did choose me. Huh. So thank you. Well, thank, thank you. And, le- and let me say with a couple words, and then we've got time for maybe one or two more. Um, we're not going to be, for the rest of like the year, talking about election predestination. We did four weeks, and then we got... Um, we got Palm Sunday, Good Friday, um, Resurrection Sunday, and then we're going back to Luke. So we've got two more weeks, which will be focused on Easter, and then we'll go back to Luke. And then things will come up in Luke. But, I mean, I I said this before, but godly men who are champions of this stuff. I mean, if you've read John Piper, he calls himself a seven-point Calvinist. He admits to taking two to three years wrestling through this issue, at times in tears. So, like, I mean it when I say I by no means think, hey, four weeks, you all set, everyone good? No, work and anything that's driving us to the word. Could I have misspoken? Could I have mishandled this? Absolutely. Um, and so, anything that's driving us to the word and pressing through this, what happens in most cases is people don't look at those texts. They don't. And so, if you're pressing through, going back to the word, that's exactly the fruit I'm hoping for. I'm not hoping everyone comes out, you know, with a you know card carrying Calvinist or whatever. The fruit of what you're saying. I'm reading my word as challengement. That's like, that's what I'm hoping. That's what Pastor Daniel and the elders are hoping for will happen. So that's that's as it should be. So just keep wrestling through, keep working through things. I'm very encouraged. The books keep selling that we that we bought, um, which doesn't usually happen. Do a series on parenting. We sell two or three books. We've had to restock it three times now um, because people are reading, and that's encouraging. People are reading. People are grappling. People are wrestling. People are thinking. Awesome. Okay, five minutes. Linda. Linda needs a microphone. Oh, she's got a microphone. Okay. So as far as the slavery thing goes, <laughs> if you go to Romans 6.22, it 
But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. From the beginning, from the day we take our first breath, we're a slave. We're a slave to sin at that point, and Satan is our master. So at this point, when you become a believer, you've just changed masters. You've left the master of sin, and you've become a slave to the master of righteousness. And no, so, there is no free agent status, is there? Right. So I think part of the trouble with the word slavery, obviously, is because from our history, it's connotated to something negative. But if you're looking at slavery through God's eyes, it, we're slaves to him. He's taking care of us. He tells us not to worry. He tells us not to strife about things, worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. We do those things anyway. But in this context, he is taking care of us. We have nothing to fear and nothing to worry about. Because when we become his slave, and also part of it is because our modern translations don't use the word slave, they've, which is doulos, they've changed it to the word servant to make it nicer. Right. Which is the Holman, you know, the Holman Christian Standard doesn't. The Holman Christian Standard has the has the uh, is willing to call okay. the, lost, the lost slave. Well, most of yeah. them don't. Yeah. Which yeah. you know, this term servant makes yeah. it seem like you know, okay, that's a better thing. You know, yeah. yes, we want to serve God, but we are slaves to God. No, no. Translate, a, translating "doulos servant" makes some of the parables unintelligible. No one can serve two masters. Right. I can have two part-time jobs. Only to make it known can be a slave of two masters. Does that make sense? You can't be a slave of two masters. How does that work? So when you make it servant, the whole thing falls apart. Um, so no, I agree. I agree with that. Um, we do not have time, though, with four minutes to dive into the biblical teaching on slavery. So I'm not going to. We can set aside some time for that too. We absolutely can. It will not be this morning. Um, <laughs> any other closing thoughts? We, oh, here we go. I'm going to take a stab at this. Um, okay. I I kind of look at things. I, we haven't really talked, but, you know, we, we're striving to, to be closer to Jesus and be more Jesus-like. And I think sometimes we lose, lose sight that there's another entity out there trying to pull us away. And I think if... If we're if we're on his team, I think the temptations he he he's pretty comfortable. I think the closer we work towards, the closer we come towards Jesus, I think the more temptations and the more time and effort that you know the opposite forces, the evil forces are going to spend on us. I don't know if that's I don't know how to really explain that, but I think we need to be aware that as we become stronger believers, the more effort that the one that doesn't want us to be close to God is going to work against us. And I think the temptations are going to become stronger. He's going to spend more time and effort because he doesn't, he wants us as bad as Jesus wants us to be with him. I think the, the other force wants us to be with him just as bad. Um, there is a battle going on out there and we need to realize that as he starts losing, as the evil one starts losing the battle, I think he's going to fight harder not to lose that battle. So, well, I, cer I certainly think that as we are being more faithful, we come under greater attack. There's a sense in which Satan um, has a why don't wake sleeping sleeping dogs. I could translate that to don't wake sleeping Christians. Uh, if a Christian loves the world and is comfortable and is distracted, I imagine Satan's going to give them a pretty comfortable life if he can help it. My guess. Um, we we are okay. We are just about out of time.
Do we have anything final? I'm going to let us go because we have a new attendees fellowship lunch after this. So I'm going to let us go, shockingly, two minutes early. Lord, um, thank you for this day. Pray that you would um, help us to chew on what we've heard, to apply what we've read, that you would um, give us grace to bear out your word. And as we leave from here, help us to be faithful this week. In Jesus' name, amen.